Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. How's it going, Beth? Hey, girl, hey. <laughs> Don't make fun of me. <laughs> How's it going with you? Oh, it's going. It's going well. I mean, you know, we're all... <laughs> I feel like that's what I say every time. We're all surviving. We're still it's true. surviving. 2020. We're still here. We're still yes. living this bullcrap. We are, we are still Thanksgiving living was yes. amazing for everybody, we hope. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do hope that you are all able to celebrate somehow, some way. No? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, somehow, some way. <laughs> we celebrated with a turkey and... <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I know everybody's, like, complaining they can't, like, get together and have big gatherings. And, it's true. What know, is our life? Whatever, but, but hopefully you're able to find some way to get past that. I actually saw a meme that reminded me, because um, we went over to a friend's house last weekend, two weekends ago, um, and had, like, a Friendsgiving. And, no, it was just this last weekend. And um, she... I sent her the meme because it was an old lady in um, like dressed like a carpet laying on or like the carpet on the floor and she was laying on the floor. Did I send this to you too? Yes, you did. And it was like, it said like um, when the cops are called because you have 11 people for, over for Thanksgiving and the limit's <laughs> yes. 10. Okay. You just blend into so the that's room. funny because we um, – Originally, we're going to have some friends that were coming in for Thanksgiving, and then we have my husband's dad and his nephew that live here that were coming, so we were going to have to buy two turkeys, and we were like, the cops are going to follow us home and be like, mm -hmm. who are you buying two turkeys? <laughs> we know what you're doing. We're, we're going to be watching. <laughs> you need to buy them separately. <laughs> yeah. What is it? 10 people? 12 people? I don't know. Well, it's 10 people here. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, I think 10 here too, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, well, anyway, it's lovely. The end of November, we're rolling into December, but we I will say... Christmas! Yes, Christmas is coming. Christina is coming. Um, but we are on the last day of November, and this is, if for those of you who do not know, November is National Adoption Month. And yeah, so this we are falling on the last day of it, and it hasn't been mentioned. Sorry, we haven't mentioned it. But um, for those who aren't aware, I'm sure you do. But I have three adopted children, and typically will like post my stories online all month long about how we came to take them home and whatnot. And I've been enjoying reading them from years past, but I didn't post this year. And there's no, and it was so sad. It was. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, and I'm sorry for my for the fans out there that I didn't get that out there. However, this um, this story has to do with adoption, and Beth actually found this case for me. So it, this is unusual <laughs> turn of events, but yeah, she um, let me know about it. She had listened to a podcast. Do you want to let them know, or you want me to tell the story? <laughs> 
Yeah, I just listened to a podcast that talked about this particular story and knew that it would hit home with my friend Christy, and I wanted to hear her tell the story instead of said lady that was telling the story, so I turned it off, and that's what we did, and I sent the story to Christy so that I could hear it from her. Yeah, yes, and I'm glad she did. It is, it's going to be a little rough, (laughs) but I'm glad she sent it to me. So anyway, so I guess we could just jump into it. Huh? You ready? I'm ready. Okay. I've been so excited to hear the story since I turned it off and sent it to you. <laughs> <laughs> so give it to me, please. <laughs> All right. I'm giving it to you. So this is the um, story of Miss Georgia Tan. And a couple of times as I was researching and writing up my my notes and whatnot, it, it would get confusing to me because I was constantly writing Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. And this actually occurs in the state of Tennessee, most of the story. And I'm like, does it sound like I'm talking about Georgia, the state of Georgia? <laughs> but anyway, mm. sorry. It was just me in my head, I think, thinking too much of it. But anyways. And I actually really like the name Georgia. I do too. Yeah. Georgia. Oh, here she goes. <laughs> just had a conversation about this but <laughs> yes. can't not sing when you have a mic in front of your face nope. georgia <laughs> i mean i can't you can't <laughs> well i'm a karaoke master so move over <laughs> okay all right all right so miss georgia tan was born beulah george tan on july 18th 1891 in philadelphia mississippi isn't that strange for there to be another Philadelphia? I mean, I guess it's it not that is. strange. There's places out there that have the same names, but I didn't think Philadelphia was one of them. Do you think people from Mississippi learned to spell their state the same way we all did? <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is M-I-S-S-I-double. What? I did not do that. Mine was M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. I said it the same way every time. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so no, then they didn't learn that way because I didn't learn my double S I double S I double P I. Yep. Nope. Not we me. do things weird in the West Virginia. Well, it could be that New York did it weird. I mean, honestly. Oh, no, I'm pretty sure it's us. <laughs> well, we'll get people right in if that's it. Let us know How which you way you learned it, Beth's or Christie's. <laughs> yeah, the dying was more. Way. Mine was more sing-songy. M I S S I S S I P P I. So anyway, sounds like you're having a asthma attack when you do it. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Anyway, she was born in 1891. Georgia Tan. Philadelphia, Mississippi. Her parents were George Clark Tan and Beulah Yates Tan. Don't we find this a lot with the like older, older cases where they just kind of like take the names of the two parents and somehow put them together to name their child? I know. There wasn't a lot of name options though, so it's fine. Right. I guess so. So she has an older brother named Rob Roy Tan. And for some reason, is Rob Roy... Uh, somebody else named Rob Roy familiar because, or like famous because that sounded super familiar to me, but I know I it's know. not him. Anyway, Rob Roy know. Tan. Rob Roy. Yeah. Her father. So the cocktail. Oh, maybe that's what I know. <laughs> it really does. Rob Roy cocktail recipe. It's a Scottish yeah, cocktail. That's, that's with whiskey. 
Okay. I mean, I've never had one, but because I don't you do speak to- cocktail, though. I do speak cocktail, any cocktail. <laughs> Sorry. This is like going in all sorts of different directions already. So her father was a judge and her mother was a school teacher. And at this time, it wasn't very common to have a wife slash mother working outside of the home. Typically, they would stay home with their um, their children. And it is speculated that her father was somewhat of a disciplinarian. And he wanted Georgia to be a concert pianist. However, he did support whatever Georgia wanted to do. She attended Martha Washington College in Virginia and graduated with a degree in music in 1913. And she briefly taught music in Mississippi, but quickly realized it was not something that she was passionate about. And so she quit. And over the course of the next two summers, she took courses in social work at Columbia University in New York. So she's there's a little New Yorky connection. Little New York connection, exactly. So following this, she had aspirations of becoming a lawyer like her dad was early in his career. But and so her father helped her study the law books and helped her pass the state bar exam. However, he wasn't too keen on the idea of her becoming a lawyer because it just wasn't something that was something that women did at that time. Just going to say that that would be pretty baller. Right. It was like very few careers like teacher, social worker, nurse, things like that, nurse that women typically did. So she settled on becoming a social worker since she had taken those social work classes. At some point, she worked in Texas as a social worker, but it was for a really short amount of time. And it's not really clear if it was right after college, like right after she finished and started, or if it was between other jobs that she had. It's just stated that at some point she worked there, but it's pretty much irrelevant. And in 1920, she began placing children for adoption at the Kate McWillie Powers Receiving Home for Children in Jackson, Mississippi. And small connection again. There's lots of connections, not just I know because what you're I adopted say. children, but my oldest was adopted from Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> so yes. we have a shirt that says Jackson because of your oldest. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <That's me. laughs> Isaiah. Oh, well, there it is. There's his name, Isaiah. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Edit. He has this <laughs> shirt that says straight, straight out of Jackson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember it. I love it. Yeah. Anyway, so in 1922, it is believed that Georgia adopted an infant and named her June. And also during her time there, she met Anne Atwood Hollingsworth, who also worked at the home as a house mother. She was a single mom and her son's name was Jack. Side note, it's actually believed that she had, Anne had Jack out of wedlock and because this was frowned upon, she added the name. Her name was just Anne Atwood. She added the name Hollingsworth to the end so that it appeared that she was a widow. Oh, so interesting. That it would, yeah, be so. Wow, how sad. I know. It is very sad. There's lots of little things like that in here that I'm glad things are changing or have changed in the world <laughs> for that reason. But. Georgia and Anne grew quite close, so close that in 1924, when Georgia was let go from the children's home in Mississippi, Georgia and Anne both, along with their children, moved to Memphis, Tennessee, 
where Georgia was hired as the executive secretary to the Shelby County branch of the Tennessee Children's Home Society. And it wasn't uncommon for single women who were independent financially to cohabitate together during this time. I don't know if you've ever heard this term, but it was called Boston marriages. Have you ever heard that term? No. Um, It was a term used in the late 19th and early 20th centuries in New England, apparently, which is where Boston comes from. I've never heard of of it. Yeah, I hadn't either. And so I had to look this up clearly. But so some of these were just plain living arrangements and others were together as a couple. Excuse me. These two never revealed the true nature of their relationship, but it was believed that they were in a romantic relationship, which at this time was wildly, widely unaccepted. And in 1943, Georgia actually adopted Anne, who was eight years younger than her, because because they were gay. I mean, even though we don't know this for sure, but the thought is that they were gay and they wanted to, she wanted to make sure that if anything happened to her, all of their, or each other, their things would be left to the other. And so apparently it wasn't, it was really common for gay couples to do this, adopt one, adopt the other so that their stuff would be passed on to the partner. Wow. Because legally it wouldn't have done, gone to them. And so that she would also be able to take care of the, each other's children because that's I mean, am- amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's actually genius way to get away around that kind of law, but it really is. And so sad. Yeah. Yes. So Georgia started her position in 1924 at the Tennessee Children's Home Society. And within five years in 1929, she somehow staged a takeover and named herself executive director. There's not a whole lot of information on that. So it just basically said that she somehow took over and just, she became executive director. Between the years of 1924 and 1950, Georgia was credited with placing 5,000 children in adoptive homes. She has widely become known as the mother of modern adoption. She was so well-known back then that famous people would come to her to adopt. Joan Crawford being one of them. I don't know if you're sure. She was the only name that I actually knew. Wow. Yes. Yeah. She adopted a set of her sets of twins. I think she had five adopted kids, but I know her set of twins were from her, from Georgia Tan. Um, June Allison and Dick Powell were other people named, but and they're also actors from back in the day, but I didn't recognize their names. So Georgia was also invited to the inauguration of President Truman. And even Eleanor Roosevelt asked her to counsel on children welfare welfare laws in the country. This woman was highly revered. So this is where you're probably asking, why are they covering this lady if she seems like such a great person and she's done all these wonderful things for children and was well-loved? Well, you're just going to... Modern adoption. Right. You are just going to have to come back after the break to find out why we have picked her. I will come back. Thanks. Okay, so Georgia isn't the saint that most people think she is. She's actually quite the monster. Having adopted children myself, it's incredibly hard to read the things that she did and what she got away with. 
and nowadays in adoption, a mother and possibly father, if he's involved, make the decision together to place their child based on whatever their circumstances are. They could make the decision feeling as if they are just unable to raise the child at this point in their lives or they'll have trouble, whatever it is, it's their decision. But this is not the case in many, if not all of the children's situations in this story. Georgia targeted unwed mothers, welfare hospitals, prisons, poor neighborhoods. She would have spotters, quote unquote spotters, all over the place. People that would just drive around through these neighborhoods and let her know if there's unsupervised children, poor families that just look like they couldn't afford medical care, whatever. She would have doctors and nurses in hospitals coercing mothers to sign relinquishment of parental rights while they were still heavily sedated. And so they talk about how some of the things that she did like caused the normalization of some of the some laws, which this I believe would be the reason why they now have to be like 24 hours drug free before they can sign away or a certain amount of days in certain states. It's different everywhere. So thankfully you can't ever coerce somebody or they, you know, can't say, oh, well, I didn't even know I was signing anything because I was under the influence of whatever pain medicine or whatever. Anyway, so now there's laws like that, but not so much back then. She had connections in many places. There was a very connected politician named E.H. Crump, who was mayor in 19, from 1910 to 1915. And then again, for a really short time in 1940, But he had a hand basically in appointing all of the mayors in the years in between that. And he, she was connected with him. And so he would help her get the connections to all these people. She had a connection at the welfare office where when someone applied for welfare, they would get the name and address of a family and pass it on to her. (gasps) Yeah. She had a judge, Camille Kelly, that would help her get the custody of children she brought in. And she had connections at the police departments, just everywhere. She had people in her pockets all over. So let's talk about some of the examples of ways that she would get the children. Excuse me, sorry. If someone called her saying that they had spotted a child near a riverbank in a poor neighborhood, unattended, she would just swoop on in in her luxury car. It became known as her infamous black limo, I think. And she would coax them, the kids, into the car because some of them probably had never even seen a car before. This is how, like, poor they are. And she would offer them a ride. So they would just, you know, get up and walk into the car. And there's one specific story of this from – I watched a couple of documentaries on it. And there was a woman named Cindy Lou Presto. She was in a park playing at two years old with, I believe, brothers and sisters – When Georgia came rolling up in her car, she got her into the car and just took her right there from the park. She kidnapped her. Yeah. She kidnapped pretty much all of these children. She then took her to court to get custody awarded to the children's home. And this is where Camille Kelly comes in, Judge Camille Kelly. The juvenile court would called, actually called her mother, Evelyn, and asked her to come in to sign her rights away. And of course, this mother's like, uh, no, I didn't really want to do that. <laughs> so she took her, but judge Kelly overruled that basically overruled the mom. I mean, how you do that? I have no idea. Like what judge signed papers and overruled it and gave custody of Cindy Lou 
<laughs> which reminds me of what is that? Um, Dr. Seuss, the yes, Grinch Dr. who stole Christmas, Cindy, Cindy Lou Who. <laughs> but anyway, um, basically gave Cindy Lou to the custody of the home. So she legally kidnapped this child, for lack of a better word. <laughs> like, she was able to legally do this. Wow. She okay, Georgia. Also, yeah, we see you, and we don't like you at all. She would offer medical care to children of people who couldn't afford it, taking them under the pretense that she would get them care, that the care that they needed, and then bring them back, and then the parents would never see them again. And she would come back and then tell them that their child had died, and she had them buried at no cost. Oh, my God. Were these, like, poor families? Yes. They were all very poor families. Yeah. Yes. I mean, any, I mean, yeah, she would just drive by and like see a kid and just take them, you know, and, or with this happening, yeah, they would say, I, you know, my kid is sick, but I can't afford anything. Oh, well, I can get, I can get it cheap and at no cost to you. But if you come with me, it won't happen. Then you'll get billed. So just give me your baby and I'll bring him back. So she clearly looked like a very trusting woman. Like if you saw her, there's pictures. She just looks like an older, nice lady, like grandma, (laughs) but she's not like a monster and there were like a few parents that would get suspicion suspicious and question the courts but they would just dismiss their cases and rule against them or if they tried to file a police report the police who were in georgia tan's pocket as well would just ignore the request and essentially just not file a police report on this missing children so anyway what a nightmare uh yes it is a nightmare Many of the children adopted out would go to New York and California, but she provided children to families all over the U.S. and in the U.K. She would have women that would go to these cities. The One of the documentaries I watched basically talked about how it was mainly New York and California, and she had, like, these two women that would just, like, come back, grab a bunch of babies, go fly back out to New York or California and, like, basically be, you know, adopting these children, adopting, I say, as in quotes, children out. So they would leave at like three in the morning when there would be hardly anybody in the airports wondering why this woman is trafficking, <laughs> you know, literally children. five babies. Yeah, exactly. They would stay in hotels and the women would have potential parents come and meet them in the lobby and they would bring the baby, hand them off, have papers signed and get a check for them for the adoption fees. All while a maid from that hotel was with all the other babies in the bedroom or the hotel room. So, yeah, yes. So let's talk about the fees for a second. At this time, Tennessee law was that the state fee for an adoption was $7, which is about $75 today. Lord, I wish it was that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Anywhere. $7. Georgia was charging about $1,000 per kid which now would be about 10,000. And which is why these famous people were coming and it was all wealthy people that were, you know, coming to get babies from her because they're the only people that can afford it. She would also charge fees for things like background checks, but those would never be done. So she really didn't even actually know anything about the people that she was handing these babies to. She didn't care. She no, was just she like kidnapped them from the river. Right. Yeah. And she didn't care. It was all money-making thing for her. It wasn't like, oh, let me find these kids a better home because they're poor. You know? No. She just wanted to make money off of them. 
So she basically became a millionaire kidnapping and selling children. And it literally made me nauseous as I was reading some of this stuff. Georgia would make many of the children more marketable to couples by giving them really good backstories because the type of people that were coming to her for babies were high society people and they didn't want a baby that was from a poor background or an unwed from an unwed mother or whatever. So she would make up backstories like their birth father was a graduate from a prestigious school or change the age of the child. If they wanted, like say it was a two-year-old, if they really wanted a three-year-old, she'd say they were three or if they wanted a one-year-old, she'd say they were one. And she would um, just, Oh, the other thing was Jewish families, which I've actually just was talking to somebody about this recently, um, about eggs, how um, Jewish people only want eggs of people that have Jewish descent in them because they're very particular about having that in the bloodline. So, and that's like current, like if you have Jewish descent in your eggs, you could get primo money for your eggs, apparently. I have no idea that's true, but somebody was just telling me this. So Jewish families back then would only adopt children from Jewish descent. So, well, a quick little new birth certificate written by Georgia Tan, and they would easily come from a line of Jewish descendants by changing their name to some Jewish, prominent Jewish name. Wow. She would just falsify the birth certificates, and then after the adoption, falsify um, them to portray that the adoptive families were their birth families. So essentially all information from these children were just like erased because she could just make up a new one. And because she had all of these like city officials in her pocket, like you say, she was able to get these things cleared and made like certified documents. Yeah. And see, and and that part, honestly, I regret, but I didn't really look up if it really had to be like, were, did they have to be certified way back then? I'm assuming yes, but I don't really know. So could she have just like printed something out and it, you know, she had some sort of stamp that she could put on it that made it look and nobody knew, I don't, you know, and nobody checked because it was so long ago. I have no idea. Wow. But ironically, again, this was another one, another law like normalized by her or because of her that basically at the finalization of an adoption, a new birth certificate is issued and are like mine and my husband's names are listed mm-hmm. on there, not, not the birth family's names. So, mm-hmm. but those still exist. They're still sure. out there in the file, but you get a new birth certificate. So what she did now is what is common practice, but clearly under different pretenses. So you might be thinking that these are just despicable acts. Whale Beth. You better hold on to your pants. I have got my <laughs> pants. I have been holding on to my pants for like 10 minutes. <laughs> because it's about to go from bad to worse to disgusting. Real quick. Oh, Lord. So due to the lack of laws and regulations surrounding adoption at the time that Georgia was getting away with all this, or it was actually, it. I'm sorry, I rephrase that, due to the lack of laws, that's why she was getting away with this. She was known to make baby catalogs for prospective parents to look through and find a child of their choosing. She would put pictures of kids in newspaper ads with the headline, they'd like to be your Christmas gift. I actually have a picture of this one. 
Not all post. It's like a puppy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Each year, she would raffle 20 to 30 babies off. She would sell tickets for $25 a piece. You can buy as many as you want for a chance to have your name drawn. Are you kidding me? Sickening. Sickening. Like, yeah. I mean, could you imagine, like, seeing? clearly there were no laws because <laughs> she's blatantly putting these in newspapers and raffling children off. Like, a or baby nobody raffle? Yes, a baby raffle. She would have many babies under her care at the children's home. Oftentimes, here's where it gets disgusting. She would keep the babies drugged in order to make sure that they weren't crying because she didn't want to hear them. She would also determine if a child was marketable enough. So if they were too small, had any defects, sickly, she would just send them to other homes to be taken care of. That people that she kind of had on her payroll but in a different home, and these were all untrained people, often pedophiles, <gasps> taking care of them. So needless to say, there was abuse happening. And there were some examples, but I just, I, I'm, I'm going to say some gross stuff, and I just don't even feel like going into it. But they would starve them, beat them, molest them, and just keep them in horrible conditions. There were times that crying babies, this is where it gets really bad, would be left outside in the sun and they would literally bake to death, like become dehydrated, get welts. Like, I'm sorry, I'm welling up because I can't. This is crying. She's legit crying right now. And have burns on their skin that were so painful and they would die out there. Like, these are the people that are taking care of these children. That weren't marketable enough for them. So in 1945, there was a dysentery outbreak. Do you know what dysentery is? I know it's like where you have diarrhea forever and then you die. Well, you didn't have diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) Good, 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 good try. But (laughs) close. Yes. For those that don't know, it's an infection of the intestines that causes severe diarrhea with the presence of blood. However, you didn't have to die. There was medical treatment for it. <laughs> but yes, it did happen that people died a lot because they didn't, couldn't get the medical treatment. The outbreak hit the children's home and affected almost all of the babies there. And being that it was very treatable, the doctor provided medicine for all the children. But Georgia refused to give them the medicine because she just wanted to let nature take its course. So if the kids survived, great. If not, it was fine too. She is a like, freaky monster of a human. Mm-hmm. In those four months that this like hit her house, close to 50 kids died. And the Memphis infant mortality rate skyrocketed because of all the deaths in her care. Wow. Yeah. 20 children are known to be buried in a single plot at Elmwood Cemetery in Mem- Memphis, The others, they don't really know. They could be on the property somewhere, but literally have no idea where they went. So in 1940, a new governor was elected. And at some point, he becomes a bit suspicious of the children's home activities throughout those years. Oh, my God, a bit. Yeah, hopefully hopefully somebody, (laughs) thankfully somebody did. He asked a lawyer named Robert Taylor to investigate. So Robert, Robert took about a year, if not more, and wrote a 240-page report on Georgia Tan. 
because he had gotten many key players to talk about all the awful things she had done throughout the years. And some even call the home the house of horrors. Because, I mean, how could you not with all that? Yeah, it legit is. On September 12th, 1950, they held a press conference exposing Georgia for who she was. But three days later, before they could make an arrest, Georgia died of uterine cancer. Oh, my gosh. Is that ironic or not? (laughs) I mean. I kind of hate it. She abused babies and her womb is what killed her. (laughs) Her womb literally killed her. Yeah. But got away with this for her entire life. She never was She should have rotted. Yes, she should have. In a freaking crib outside in the baking sun. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just my opinion there. Yeah. And she with dysentery. Yeah. With dysentery. (laughs) Throw the dysentery in there. Yeah. Good measure. A couple of months later, on November 11th, 1950, Judge Kelly quietly resigned and was never prosecuted. Actually, no prosecutions were ever made in any of these cases. And there were still children in the home at that time. So over the next month or so, they had to find safe homes for these children. And then the doors of the children's home closed. So we mentioned at the beginning that Georgia placed 5,000 children in adoptive homes Well, it is thought that close to 500 children died in her care. There's no way of ever really knowing, but that is their best guess. And if it is true, she would really be known as the most prolific serial killer in history. But I'm kind of glad that they can't prove it so she can't have that notoriety because I feel like she died happy knowing that she was forever going to be known, honestly, for what she did. But anyway. In the spring of 1951, Taylor submitted the report and all adoption records were sealed. Any adoptee from this time would need a court order to get the records. So we talked about this briefly, actually, before we even started. But um, it kind of stinks for the people that all that was sealed. And I know that it's the case for, you know, some states and whatever. But these, why they specifically decided to do that at this time, I don't know. I mean, because you'd think they would just want to try and help families find their children or reunite or if they ever came back, we could have it. I I mean, there is an organization called the Tennessee's Right to Know that helps adoptees reunite. And so there have been cases where it's worked and they've, you know, been reunited. But it's still sad that they just completely shut it down. Like, let's just close the book on this. So... And also, I believe that a lot of families that knew, I mean, because clearly they, she became known after that. I mean, it was put in newspapers and stuff that families that knew they had adopted from her really didn't want to come forward because they were for fear of losing their children. Because they, many, if not all of them, didn't know that she, this is what she was doing. Like, they, you know, just thought, oh, I'm adopting a kid. Here, I'm signing the paper. Here's your fees. You know, like, they thought it was all legit. So... Since this was such a horrific story, I kind of wanted to end on somewhat of a happy story, or part of it. On December 13th, 1989, Alma Sippel was watching Unsolved Mysteries, which I watched this episode, and recognized the picture of Georgia as the woman who had taken her child four decades earlier. She had taken her to get medical care for her runny nose. Alma had gone to the... So Georgia had taken her. So she's one of the cases where... 
she would um, go in. She, Georgia would basically pretend she was going to as a social worker to investigate like an abuse case in an area that she knew was poor. And so she'd kind of be like taking inventory of the children and then she would go back. So she would interview these people and then she would go back and check on, you know, the kids and whatnot. And she would notice that, oh, they have a runny nose. Let me help you. So Georgia took this little child to the hospital to get medical care. And Alma went to the hospital a day later and saw her daughter jumping up and down in a crib and asked the staff if she could see her. And they informed her that it wasn't her daughter and that that baby was the custody of a children's home. So she called Georgia multiple times and didn't hear back for days. Finally, Georgia called and told her that her daughter had died of pneumonia suddenly and that they had already had her buried at no cost to the mom. So Sipple, after seeing this Unsolved Mysteries case, contacted that Tennessee's Right to Know group. And seven months later, they had found her daughter. (gasps) So this is in 1990, essentially. And she is now a nurse, or at that time, a nurse in Cincinnati, and she was able to contact her. And there's not – I've tried to find more articles about them. There's not a whole lot. Like, they talked about their first, you know, conversation and whatnot, and the daughter is, you know, wants to know her and wants to get together. But at that time, she was kind of confused by it all because she had been raised by, you know, a nice family and she was loved and she didn't want to, like, alienate her adoptive parents. But, you know, at the same time, this – and she was just trying to wrap her head around the fact that she was actually kidnapped and whatnot. So I haven't been able to find anything more recent on them. But they were able to get in contact, which is nice. And according to – most sources, this is one out of only 50 that they've been able to solve, essentially. And that was as of 1990. And I haven't found any more recent things on if they were able to. Because I don't, like I said, many of the families didn't come forward because they were afraid of losing their kids. So it's like some of the adopted, uh, the people who were stolen or got kidnapped, their families came forward, but maybe the others you know, haven't come forward with names. You know what I'm saying? Like the records are all. Yeah. Anyway, so. And she lied, you know, like you said, she falsified histories and she falsified birth certificates and like, there's no way to track this. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. So yeah. So there's, yeah, there isn't many that have actually been solved. And last, also last note, in 2015, on that small plot that 20 of the children are buried on, they um, erected this small memorial, and on it is engraved, in memory of all the hundreds who died under the cold hand of the Tennessee Children's Home Society, their final resting place unknown, their final peace a blessing. So, wow. That's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> I don't have anything else left in me after that one. <laughs> that business despicable despicable human being can't (laughs) well i knew this was a story happy national adoption month (laughs) (laughs) thank god that things are not that way i mean she trafficked children yeah hundreds Mm -hmm. thousands hundreds right well i mean she placed five thousand and it's pretty much thought that most of, like, if not all, were kids that she just took from somewhere. 
So what pretty, we can assume that's her, 5,000. To her, like, adoptive lover. I don't know. I'm not going to lie. I don't know. I mean, I she died. they ever prosecuted <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if she ever got like, because she no, knew no, no prosecutions were ever made in 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 this. Oh None. my gosh! So whoever knew, whoever was involved, all all the politicians, all the police, all the whatever, like nobody ever paid for any of this. Except now we have laws that govern adoption much better than it did before. So when they say that she is the mother of modern adoption, they do not mean that in a good way they mean no. that in a like thank god that you sucked so bad at life mm-hmm. that now we have these regulations put in place to where we ensure children are safe and placed in a healthy yeah. environment right yet but i hate that that's the term that's used because it True. makes her sound like a totally different kind of person absolutely <laughs> absolutely thank god you told the story yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Hashtag biz- biznitch. Biznitch. Got it. <laughs> what an awful lady. I can't process yeah. all of this information. I know. And that's like consolidating it all real quick because I'm sure you could spend hours upon hours talking about this lady, but it's not the format of our show. So, well, quickly you for covering this extremely heartfelt great story and I'm glad that families don't have to deal with that now Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think that's all we can say is that 2020 has at least brought us there yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) further along (laughs) at least in that (laughs) Mm -hmm. so anyway wow Georgia Tan Mm -hmm. are you going to put all these documentaries into the show notes because I'm interested yeah. Yes. Yes. And there's actually quite a few books. I probably should put them. I didn't read them, but I might put them in there that are interesting. I, I may look into them. Um, I think one was called A Baby Thief and then the other one was called Before and After. And I'm really interested in Before and After. And gosh, I wish I had brought all my notes down here, but um, that one is um, victims. So two people like told victim stories of before and after all of this like came out. So I want to read that. So they were like adopted children. I don't know that they were adopted children or they're like descendants from people who, but they got like a group of them together and got this book written about all of it. So I want, I'm interested in that because that'll be like the aftermath, more updated after aftermath stuff. Yeah. So. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So hold on to your kids, guys. Don't let them play by rivers. Mm-mm. Or in playgrounds, or anywhere. Show them a card. Not, yeah. not enticed to go into it. <laughs> wow, that's some scary stuff. And you know what's crazy too is that we like to say, "Oh, that's not happening now," but yeah, no, it is. It's just in a different. <laughs> well, it's probably not even a different form, but <laughs> it's not through adoption. But yeah, same thing. Wow, that's crazy. Good story, hard story. We appreciate mm-hmm. you. Guys, Thanks for if giving you, it to me. I know, right? Who knew? Who knew it was so big? Um, thanks for listening, guys. This was a hard one. I think anytime we talk about kids, it's like 
you know, just a deep, heavy story to tell, but um, you did a great job. <laughs> and I did really like it. And I'm glad that you got that story told, especially for National National Adoption Month. You made up yeah. for it for not posting all this month <laughs> on these great <laughs> adoption packs. It's fine. It's fine. I won't hate you. I liked the story. All right. So if you guys like what you heard, please come find us. We're on all the social media platforms. If you like what you heard, we'd be so grateful if you gave us a five-star rating and review. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We're excited about December. We've got some holiday stuff that we want to get to. So we are not going to be releasing episodes the last couple weeks of December because we want to take some fine, some time with our family to relax and just enjoy the holidays. But man, what a heavy story to bring you into it. <laughs> We've got a couple more coming, but um, just keep in mind that those last couple weeks, we're not going to be with you. So check in with us for social media because we will be posting stuff every now and then. We want to engage with you. So please find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and send us some emails if you have anything that you want to say. And as always, remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet with your children.